following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Well, good morning. Nine o'clock, the only o'clock this morning, apparently, but... Uh, thanks for being here this morning. My name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor. If I didn't get a chance to meet you, hey, online, uh, friends and family, we're grateful that you're with us as well. Uh, we are going to get to Matthew chapter 12, but here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to open up your Bibles to a different place. We're going to do some flipping this morning. Okay, so just get your flipping thumbs ready. Uh, we're going to start in the gospel of John chapter 1 this morning. So John chapter 1, if you open up your Bible to John 1, that'd be great. Uh, there are hardback black Bibles under every single chair. You can open that to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. If you're online, you can click the Bible tab. John 1 is on page 886 in those black Bibles. Open a phone, open a tablet. Just uh, we, we, got, we got some work to do this morning. John chapter 1 is where we're going to start. Uh, I'm calling today's sermon, Focus on the Family. You'll see why, but uh, uh, it has nothing to do with the ministry in Colorado Springs, but that's what I'm calling it. I actually saw a really funny bumper sticker, and I wanted to rip that off and use it for my sermon title. The bumper sticker said, focus on your own family, but I didn't think that was sermon appropriate, so I just thought I'd say it instead of name the the title of the sermon that, but uh, focus on the family. The dominant idea in the New Testament when it comes to Christian community is that of family. It's not church necessarily, the gathering. Ecclesia is the word church, uh, a gathering point. That's not the primary way that, that, that Christian community is talked about. Christian community is primarily talked about as family. But I want to ask the question this morning, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Well, well, we're going to get into this, and, and we have some theology work that we're going to start with, and then we'll get to practical application on the tail end. So we're going to work hard, and then there will be payoff at the end. So John chapter 1, John chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. So look at your text. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the word was God. Okay, so John chapter one, verse one begins with in the beginning was the word. And in your text, you'll notice that the word word is capitalized, capital W word. So what are we talking about here? Who's the word? Jesus. Okay, good, good. You can almost always guess Jesus if you're new to church, okay? You can almost always guess Jesus. You'll be close to right, at least close to correct. So, so John is saying Jesus was in the beginning and and that Jesus was with God and that Jesus, hear me, was God. John chapter one, verse one. Now you, here's the truth. You cannot be with something and simultaneously be something. You cannot be with something and be that same thing. Okay. That's insanity. It's classic. Okay. It's classic. I cannot claim to be with my wife and simultaneously claim to be my wife. That doesn't make sense, right? I, I cannot claim to be with myself and claim to be myself. That's a personality disorder. I mean, this is what we're talking about. So John is doing something here theological. He's claiming something here and, and he's gonna make it clear here. Look down to verse 18, John 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. 
So, so John goes on in his gospel and he says, uh, he, he now says, no one's ever seen God. And then he says this phrase, but the only God who's at the father's side has shown us who he is. So who is that? The, the only God who's at the father's side, who's being referenced here? Jesus. Okay. We've already talked about this. Jesus is the answer. Okay. Now, um, now in the Greek, so he's talking about Jesus again. In the Greek, uh, the text literally reads, verse 18 literally reads, no one has ever seen God, the only begotten God who is in the Father's bosom. It's not uh, like, like ours says at the Father's side. The, the Greek says in the Father's bosom. All right, and those are two very different things. Okay, uh, so our youth minister, Kyle, he's down with the high schoolers right now. Kyle and I go way back. He is a great friend of mine. I've known him for 15 years now. Uh, He was actually my intern when I was a youth pastor. For the first church I was a youth pastor at, I hired him as an intern. Uh, So he was at my wedding. I officiated his wedding. Like, we we have a long-term relationship. I love that guy dearly, and I don't ever mind being at his side. But I want no part of his bosom. (laughs) I mean, frankly, uh, if I'm honest, I don't really even know what his bosom is or where to find it, okay? I almost named this sermon Bosom Buddies, but again, <laughs> felt like it was inappropriate, okay? So focus on the family came up, but, but this is, this is the, the, in the English, it's translated side because the idea of a bosom is kind of lost on us or it has been perverted in our culture. What John is saying is that Jesus is in the bosom of the Father, Okay, as in there is intimate familiarity and entanglement within these two. Okay, between the Father, God the Father, and God the Son. Theologians will say, will use the word substance. They are of the same substance, but they are two different, distinct persons. If you were in our Fathom Academy Christian theology class last summer, you might remember some of this stuff. Okay, so, so John gives us a picture of. God, the son, Jesus, the word, he was in the beginning. He was with God and he was God and he was in the father's bosom, whatever that means of the same substance. Now I want you to turn all the way back to Genesis chapter one. Okay. Genesis one. If you don't know where Genesis one is, Genesis means beginning. Okay. And one is the first number. Genesis 1, okay, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, now those first three words, in the beginning, okay? Uh, what were the first words in John chapter 1? You remember? In the beginning. No, Jesus was not the first word. In the beginning was the first word. In the beginning was the word. So, so John chapter 1 is a nod of its hat to Genesis chapter one. They both begin the exact same way within the beginning. Now look down in Genesis one to verse 26. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Okay. Um, this is again, not a typo in your Bible. We don't like typos in our Bible. That is not a typo. It's not a mistranslation. It says, let us make man in in our image. Us, our. 
Okay, who is God talking to? At the, there's nobody, he hasn't created anybody yet. He's not talking to plants. Who's he talking to right here? Jesus, good job, man. I'm so proud of you guys. I don't even need the face mic. I'm going home, okay? We don't need to do this anymore. Like now, you may know, maybe the Discovery Channel or somebody told you as a college professor, you may know that the Bible never explicitly mentions the Trinity. I don't know if you know that. The Bible never talks about, there's no word Trinity in the Bible. And yes, it's not there, but it's all over the place. The doctrine of the triune Godhead is all over the scriptures. So God, hear me, in his very nature is a community. He is in a family as it were. And this is my first point for this morning, okay? God is community. God is community. And I don't have time to get into the Holy Spirit at all this morning, but, 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 but God is in a perfectly intimate relationship with God's self. You have to use this kind of language, okay? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all in community, all at one another's side, all maybe as it were in one another's bosom. They're of the same substance, but they are three distinct persons. Now, Genesis chapter two, okay? Uh, after Genesis one comes Genesis two. And in Genesis two, look down at verse 18. Something interesting happens. Genesis two eighteen. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make, a, I will make him a helper fit for him. So uh, for the first time in Genesis chapter one and the beginning of two, God is creating and he is creating and he is creating. And every time he creates something, he says, it is good. It's good. It's good. And God saw that it was good. It was good. It was good. And for the first time, verse 18, we find God has created something and it is not good. The first thing that is not good in all of creation is when God creates man, man, Adam, the first human being, and, and man is alone, and God says, nope, that ain't good. This is not good. This guy needs some help. That's essentially, what, I mean, it's literally what he said. He needs a helper. He needs some help. This guy needs some help. And, and the first thing that's not good in all of creation is a lack of community for a human being. And this is where, by the way, Coloradans get it wrong. We get it wrong, okay? Your dog is not sufficient community for you. I love your dog. I, I don't really love your dog. I love my dog. Um, but, but your dog is not enough. Okay, your cat, aside from being likened to Satan, all right? By the scriptures, I tell you, okay? Your cat is not sufficient community. God is creating in, in Genesis 1 and 2. He is creating mankind in his image. And that image, the image of God is one of perfect community. So when man is created and he is alone and there's no community, he is out, step, out of step with the image of God. He is not fulfilling his image bearing if he is alone. Now, down to Genesis 2, verse 21. God's going to solve the problem. Look at verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs 
and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Okay, we're almost done with theology for a minute. Let's geek out just one minute more for my sake, okay? Uh, It says that God took one of his ribs, okay, one of his ribs. Now, that word that's translated rib can also be translated side. They took part of his side, one of his ribs. Jesus was at the father's side, in the father's bosom. So too, God took woman from the man's side, from the same stuff, the same substance, as it were. And he creates community for human beings. Now, all of that is just to show you from page one in the scriptures that we find that God is community, okay? Um, But uh, we were created by him as image bearers of him to be in relationships like he is in relationships. And this is point number two of the morning. We are created for community. Yes, God is community. He is, in his very nature, community. But we, as his image bearers, are created for community. The center of the reality of our universe is a community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, sharing in this Trinitarian love, and we are created in that image. Now, It's all a setup, okay? This has all been a setup for us to move into our text today. So now would you please turn to Matthew chapter 12? This is the last turn of the morning, I promise. Matthew chapter 12 uh, is where we're gonna be. Um, We've spent a full month on this chapter, on just Matthew 12, uh, and we will finish this chapter this morning. So uh, Matthew 12 What was just read over us, Jesus is going to tell us what the community we are created for looks like. He's going to tell us what this is like. So Matthew chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 46. Matthew 12, 46. While Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Now, um, remember what's been going on in chapter 12, okay? The last uh, few chapters actually have all been about uh, discipleship, okay? Jesus has been calling his followers. He got his first band of kind of followers, the disciples. We found their names. uh, and, And he's been calling people who follow him to a very high bar of discipleship, a very high bar of what it means to follow him, to be a part of following Jesus, to be a part of following the way of Christ meant to lay everything down. It meant to lay everything down. It was complete allegiance. It was a complete change in your identity. Uh, The cost of discipleship, we've said, was very high. Jesus turned people away before he let them follow him half-heartedly. So we've seen this. And now in chapter 12, opposition has been mounting primarily from the Pharisees who are the religious elite of this area. And now at the very end of chapter 12, uh, in verse 46, Jesus' mother and his brothers, his family, they show up and they want to speak with him. In Luke's gospel, it says they think he's crazy and they want to take him home. Matthew doesn't put that in there. So we're assuming that Jesus is not crazy at this moment. Okay, Um, now what we need to do is we need to do a little bit of historical work on the family in the first century because it's different from family today. 
The way that families worked in the first century uh, is, is what's known as a system called the, the patrilineal line system. You don't need to remember this, but it's just, I think, helpful. Patrilineal line simply means that the family's bloodline was traced through the father's lineage. That's what patrilineal means. We saw this uh, in Matthew chapter one. In Matthew one, we saw that the, the genealogy of Jesus is given patrilineally. Okay, so, so Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. You, you, you see, it's this line on and on and on until we get to Jesus. Now, Matthew does an interesting thing and he throws four women in there, which is crazy. We talked about that at Christmas. We'll, t- we'll deal with that in Christmas, okay? But, but, but the patrilineal system is the dominant system for how families work in the first century and property, all property, Okay, all rights, all names and titles are all passed down from the father to the son, from the father to the son, and on and on it goes. Now, family was everything in this culture. It was everything in this culture, okay? And, And it was passed from the father to the son. Now, did you notice someone's missing in verse 46? Okay, Jesus' family shows up, but who's missing? It's not Jesus. Okay, he's there. Joseph, yeah. The father, Joseph, his dad, isn't mentioned. Now, since Joseph isn't mentioned anywhere in the scriptures after Jesus' childhood, the most natural conclusion, and and, uh, this isn't even debated, most scholars believe that he died sometime in Jesus' childhood. Sometime before Jesus comes on the scene as a 30-year-old rabbi, his father passed away. Now we will see this confirmed. Okay. When Jesus is on the cross and he entrusts his mother's care to his best friend, John, instead of a family member, he says, John, take care of mom for me. He wouldn't have to do that if Joseph was around, but Jesus is the eldest son. So, so Jesus family shows up and look what happens. Okay. This is interesting. Verse 48 But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What Jesus just did here is completely radical in this time and place. In the first century, what Jesus just did is unbelievable. I mean, Jesus is the oldest living son. And based on the patrilineal system of his day, he should have taken up the mantle as kind of the responsible one for his entire family. For his mother, for his brothers, and for his sisters, he is all the more important if Joseph is dead. And what does he say? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? I'm sorry. This thing is, we're buying a new cable. Can you hear me still? Is this still going? Okay. He redefines, now hear me. He redefines his family as not of flesh and blood, but rather he says, whoever does the will of my father is my family. Jesus calls his disciples family. This would have been shocking and something of like a backhanded slap 
to his family. (laughs) To put uh, this new family ahead of his patrilineal family would have been shocking. Like to us, it doesn't pack quite the punch because, because we live in a world with kind of a weak family ties. We live in a weaker family system world, okay? We are very mobile. We move away from our hometowns. We move away from our parents. They would all live together. They would never leave their hometowns. I mean, we live in a very different mindset than this would have packed a punch for. But in Jesus' culture, what he's saying is unthinkable. It doesn't matter if it's Jewish. It doesn't matter if it's Roman, if it's Greek. This would have been unthinkable. Conservatives love to point to the fact that Jesus is like real pro-family, like a lot of pro-family messages, and they're good and right, right? Like marriage and children and honoring your parents, those sorts of things. Conservatives love to point those things out. But scholars also point out that Jesus makes some claims that are really kind of anti-family in some ways, right? You better love me more than you love your children, more than you love your parents, more than you love your siblings. That's counter-cultural. So yeah, focus on the family is the message today, but we better define family like Jesus does. Because you might be focusing on the wrong thing. It's point three this morning. The community of Jesus is family community of Jesus is family. The apostle Paul in the new Testament, um, he uses the metaphor of adoption, right? We are adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. It's a dominant metaphor in the new Testament. We call God our father. Jews didn't call God their father. That felt too familial. It felt too intimate. But now we do, just like Jesus did. We, by, by the way, we call Jesus our brother? That's, that's weird. feels strange. The community of Jesus is family. And here's where in our Western kind of individualistic society, we kind of get backwards on this thing. Okay, because we are told, culturally, we are told, it's just you and Jesus. You got to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Right? That's what, that's, that's what, do you want to give your life to Christ? Do you want to have a personal relationship with, it's all very personal. It's all very individual. It's all very me centered. And listen, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian anymore. You just download your favorite podcast. You know, listen to whoever you like on your podcast, favorite preacher, you know, listen to worship on Spotify, have a couple of Christian friends. As long as you got some Christian, that's your community, right? You don't have to go, just go to church whenever you want to. That's kind of the, the popular culture message. You don't need to belong to a place. You certainly don't need to be committed to a people. Many of us treat Christian community more like fans and less like family. Like we're fans and less like we're brothers and sisters. We're fans of, uh, of this preacher or we're fans of that church, but it's like a transactional relationship. It's transactional. Uh, it's, 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 I like what you do. I like what you do, but that's transactional. We can treat our faith transactional. You, by the, by the way, you can treat me transactionally. We can do this. You can treat me this way. I like your sermons, Chris. Man, man, I love this church, Chris. Man, I love your church. I like what you do. I like what you bring to the table but I can treat you like that too. 
Your pastor can treat you like that. I can treat you like this. Ah, oh, man, I like that you fill that seat. Oh, I like when the room's full, right? I like that you give. I like that you serve. Or here's one, I'll just you know, be honest with you. I like that you like me. I like that you like my sermons. It's transactional. It's a transaction, okay? But hear me, family is not transactional. Family is not transactional. It's covenantal. It's not, I like what you do. It's, I like you. There's a difference. There's a difference. And so when we don't, uh, we, we don't run, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, essentially uh, the way that we treat church is, is not the way that we ought to treat church. We treat it transactionally. And Jesus is saying, but these are my family members. And I love you, but, but, but if that's you, like, and I don't want you to feel judged, but if you feel like maybe you've treated Christianity or your faith like it's a transaction, I just want to say that you have, uh, you believe that because you've been taught and discipled by Western hyper-individualistic culture that that's how church is supposed to work. But, but, but listen to me, you did not get that belief from Jesus. You did not get that belief from the Bible. That personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's all that matters, you don't find that in church history, in the scriptures, or in any of Jesus' teachings. You got that from your culture. You got that from the world that we live in. These are very specific, contextualized beliefs based almost entirely in where we live and when we live. Because there's other parts of the world that don't think like us. The less Western parts of the world don't think that way. It is a context of where we live and when we live. So Jesus' vision for his gospel community, the church, for us, for his family, isn't that uh, it's an event you attend or, or content that you consume, but rather it's a family that you are a part of, that you belong to. So um, if this is what the Bible teaches us about community, then what do we do with this, okay? And I, I promise I'm not going to beat you up the whole time, all right? Um, that's, that's not my plan this morning. But what, what do we do with this idea of church or community or Christian fellowship as family? Well, the problem with family is that for better or worse, your family is your family, right? I mean, you can disown them, but they don't become less your family. They're still your family. You can't do anything about it. You don't get to pick your family. This is the difference between family and friends. You don't pick your family. You pick your friends. And this is one of the things that's really important when thinking about church community as family. So listen, your, your community at Fathom, this church, they don't necessarily need to be your friends. Stay with me. Okay. Um, it's great if it works out that way. It is great when the people that you are in church community with are also your friends. But hear me, friendship is fickle. Uh, it's based on chemistry, at least initially. It's based on chemistry and personality and a lot of times stage of life. Okay, and none of that is bad at all. But hear me, it's limited, it's limited. I don't, I'm not poo-pooing friendship. I'm just saying it's different, okay? When people approach church with this idea that they are expecting friendship, sometimes it works and it's awesome and it is great, but very often it doesn't work out that way. 
okay? Or at least it doesn't work out the way that we think it's going to work out. And I just think it's okay. We're going to talk about this uh, at its own extent, but, but the church is supposed to be family. He uses the metaphor of family, not friendship, family. Well, you may share a lot in common with certain members of your family, but, but then again, you may be complete opposites. You may even butt heads over some really significant things, but you're still going to Thanksgiving. You still show up at the table with family. And unless there's some egregious, ongoing, sinful behavior, man, basically family is for life. Now, we're going to talk about how this translates into church community, but, but um, first I want to, uh, uh, a pastor in, in Portland, uh, his name's John Mark Comer. He gives some stages of Christian community uh, that I think are really helpful. Like, like if you are trying to break into community or you're trying to join a group or something like that, these are stages of community. Cause I think you'll see friendship's really important, but it's not the end goal with Christian community. So let me walk us through these four stages of community. I think these are helpful. Okay. The first stage of Christian community is the honeymoon stage. It's just the honeymoon stage. Okay. Uh, well, like, like everything is awesome. Just, I don't know if you've been to a new, new place, new community, and you're just like, man, we love everyone in our group. We just love everyone. And we hung out three times this week and we're, you know, taking all, we're just texting all the time. Went to coffee, went to Corvus, went to, you know, we were just all over the place, went to the park, going to movies. We're just pumped, pumped for everybody in our community. And then we'll tag lines. Like we'll take a selfie and we'll tag it. We'll be like, hashtag doing life together which doesn't mean anything, by the way, okay? You are alive. Doing life together doesn't mean anything. But um, on the honeymoon, okay, it's a honeymoon thing. Or, by the way, there's the opposite honeymoon, the anti-honeymoon thing that sometimes happens. It's like the awkward honeymoon. I don't know if you've been in this group where you show up and it's like the awkward, like you're just new and you're unsure of yourself and you're not really comfortable yet with each other. You don't know each other very well. You got like baby giraffe legs when it comes to like relationships. You're not sure what's going on. They feel like you've got nothing in common with each other other than Jesus. And it's like, it's like an awkward honeymoon. I imagine if it's like an arranged marriage, that honeymoon. You're like, maybe it'll lead somewhere good, but right now this is weird, okay? And sometimes people bail on a church or bail on a group or bail on community because they don't immediately gel together but you can't judge a marriage based on how a honeymoon goes. Okay. On my honeymoon, we went to Mexico, which I would not advise. Here's what happened on my honeymoon. 14 years ago, I passed out in the bathroom. I got a mild concussion, almost went to the Mexican hospital. I needed an anti-diarrheal. Okay. And then I needed a a stool softener, Mexican stool softener to offset the AD. Okay. Um, 14 years, 14 years. We're celebrating it in two weeks, okay? You cannot judge a marriage by a honeymoon. My honeymoon was a disaster and I love my wife. My marriage is beautiful, okay? You can't judge community by how the first season goes. The honeymoon stage, it's not a good barometer of what's to come. Whether it's awesome and we love everybody and you're just geeked out of your mind or it's awkward and you're just like, what? did I get myself into? But you eventually move through the honeymoon. If you stick with it, you move to the next stage, which I call the ordinary stage. It's the ordinary stage, okay? Uh, And now don't hear ordinary as a bad thing. Everyone in our culture is down on ordinary. If you tell somebody that their kid is ordinary, it's like, what? 
<laughs> not my kid, talented and gifted. You're like, he's three. You know, no, he's, what, when did ordinary become so uncool, unsexy, okay? Everything's gotta be so special. Everything's gotta be so fantastic, so in your face. But, but ordinary is really when you just settle in. When you just settle in and you're like, yeah, my, my group is good. My group is good every Wednesday. Like we know each other. We're walking together. Nothing too high, nothing too low. It's just, it's ordinary. It's just normal, okay? And sometimes people bail on community when things get ordinary because it's just not interesting enough. It's not intense enough. It's not fresh and awesome and exciting. It's actually just kind of boring. Ordinary is kind of boring, okay? But listen, most of family life is ordinary, (laughs) Most of family life is ordinary. You wake up, you eat together, you go to school or you go to work, you come home, you hang out, eat something else together, watch something together, go to bed, rinse and repeat. That's ordinary. It's life. But listen, if you stick with community through ordinary, you will inevitably move to the next stage. And that next stage is a rough patch. I'll call it the conflict stage. You move from ordinary to conflict. And conflict comes in two forms. It comes in the frustration form or it comes in the fear form. Frustration or fear. Here's how it goes. Uh, You get more comfortable with each other in ordinary time and you begin to share more and you become more transparent and the real you comes out and hear me, it turns out the real you has some issues and the real me has some issues. And as we get real together, those issues come to the surface. You start to figure out certain things about certain people. Like, can you believe who she voted for? Boy, last year, a lot of communities had to deal with that, right? Why doesn't that person discipline their kids? They're driving me nuts. Oh my goodness. If that person complains one more time during prayer requests, I'm going to lose my mind, right? You've been in that group? Conflict, okay? It can lead to frustration, can lead to frustration, or it might show up as fear, fear of intimacy. Okay. Like you start digging a little bit deeper and it's more than, well, did you like Chris's sermon? What did you think about the bosom comment? You know, like it's, it's more than that. You start to talk about deeper things. You start to bear your soul to one another and carrying heavy stuff for one another stirs up some feelings. It can cause you to fear others, but it can also cause you to fear yourself. That's intimate details that you may not feel comfortable carrying. It's conflict. And this is where a lot of people bail out on community. They bail out because of frustration or fear. Just gets a little hard, okay? But if you stay put, if you stay committed and you embrace the conflict, you'll move to the final stage, which we'll call the love stage. It's the love stage. Okay, in the love stage, you begin to accept people in their differences, in their struggles, in their pains, in their real lives, okay? And you find yourself saying things like this, man, I really love these people. I really love, I never would have thought it would work out with that awkward honeymoon. And that, I mean, goodness, how many boring Bible studies have we done together, right? And man, if he gets on his soapbox one more time about Trump, I'm going to lose my mind. But gosh, I love these guys. 
and you push in. And it's family. Now, I don't want to paint a rosy picture. There are times when it's okay to leave a church. I'm not saying that you can't leave a church. There are just, just like there are times to distance yourself from certain persons in your family with unhealthy dynamics. There are times for that. There are also times for us to leave churches, to find a new church. There are times for that, okay? But our cultural problem isn't that people are staying places too long. That's not the main problem that our culture faces. It's that people are leaving places too soon. They're leaving places rather than pushing in and dealing with conflict and working through things, okay? As a general rule, you can write this one down. As a general rule, those who stay are those who grow. As a general rule. I say it like this all the time. Uh, The grass isn't greener somewhere else. The grass is greener where you water. Grass is green where you water, You don't just buy a new house with a lawn that's awesome, stop watering it, and it stays awesome. You got to water where you are. So uh, I say all this, this community stuff, because it's in the text, because it's right here in Matthew 12, but also we're about six weeks away from summer being over. Mourn it, okay? Just let's, let's just take a deep sigh together, okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that this summer has been great because coming out of COVID, it's been like a makeup summer. It's like two for one. It's like a BOGO summer, right? We're just doing all the things all the time, high speed doing summer. Okay, trips, vacations. I just made a, made a road trip up to Wyoming. As I'm coming home, I couldn't tell you the number of RVs with temporary tags I saw. Thank you, stimulus check. We've all got campers now, right? Like that's what this summer has been. But... It's almost over. And I think we need to be really intentional on working out some of the muscles that may have atrophied during the last two years under COVID. See, we got, during COVID, we got really good at not doing community. We got really good at it. We got really good at knitting or like gardening How many gardeners? New gardens? No, some new gardens, okay. We got really good at stuff that didn't involve others during COVID out of necessity. But hear me, I think we need to exercise our community muscle a little bit. I think it's just weak right now. I'm not talking just us, I'm talking everybody needs to do this. So starting today until Labor Day, we are opening registrations for our fall early this, this year. Okay. So, so we've got D groups, fathomchurch.org slash fall. Okay. We've got D groups. These are mixed age and stage groups meeting in homes throughout the week. They'll be starting in September. Okay. We have men's and women's Bible studies, both of them starting in September. They meet at the church on Tuesday nights and church. I want to just encourage you, encourage us that if you feel like your community muscle has atrophied a little bit in the COVID season, it might be time to start working that thing out. Now, now hear me, it's going to feel hard at first. You ever not work out for a year and a half and then go back to the gym? You do like three push-ups and then you puke? That might be how the first couple of groups go, okay? I mean, listen, I just want to commend you. Consider as we move into the fall where you are and, and consider watering the grass where you are, jumping into this family. We got to embrace the awkward on this one a little bit, but I just want to, I want to invite you, 
Join me in this, okay? Listen, I loved not seeing y'all. Some of y'all, okay? Just come on, stay with me here. But COVID, it's not over, but it's over. We need to get back. We need to start working on community again. Now, let me end with this. I, I know I used this illustration just last year and I'll use it again. You'll find out real quick that I've got like six sermons that I just put on repeat, okay? Um, but, but, but I do wanna end with this. We spent the last two weeks before Sunday, this Sunday, talking about Satan, spiritual warfare, demons, that sort of stuff. And, and you need to understand, I hope if you took anything away from the last two weeks, it's this. We have a real spiritual enemy who wants to take us out. Like, I hope that that's what you heard. First Peter 5, 8, I read it. It says this, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, right? So, so we have a real enemy and he's looking to take us out. Now, the question is this, what animal does a predator like a lion always go after? I mean, you've watched the Animal Planet. You've seen this show, right? Where the lion is prowling around in the grass, hunched low. You can barely see its ears or whatever. And there's a herd of antelope. And then they zoom in on that one gimpy tripod antelope, right? Or that little baby, kind of wobbly baby, brand new, barely can't walk antelope, right? And they're, they're hanging out right on the edge of the herd. And you know what's coming next. If you've got kids, you're like, kids, change the channel, Right? Put on Disney Plus, because in Disney Plus, the parents die. The kids always live, right? (laughs) But Disney are liars, and the truth is not in them, okay? Because that's not how it works in real life. That's not how it works. See, that lion is looking for an easy target. It's looking for an easy target, the young, the weak, the disconnected. And this is why God created animals with a herd instinct. You've seen this with elephants and stuff like that, where the the herd surrounds the weak in their bunch and they circle around them and surround and protect and shelter the the young and the weak. So, So I say all that to say, like, watch out. Watch out. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and he devours those who are disconnected. He devours those, the person who, who maybe you come to church, but nobody knows you because you're not connected in any real meaningful way. You're a fan as it were, but you're not family. Sometimes people will say things like this to me. They'll say, well, I just don't know everybody here anymore. I just don't know everybody. I used to know everybody and now I don't. And I can appreciate that sentiment, but I just want to say, I think it's kind of flawed. Number one, if you're new, you don't know anybody, right? But, but listen, if you're bringing your friends and I'm bringing my neighbors and we're doing evangelism and someone finds us online and shows up and all of these things are happening, there will be constantly new people to our church community. And hear me, you won't know them. And if you're that new person, you ruined the herd. You've thrown off the balance. The point of church is not for you to know everyone. The point of church is for everyone to be known. That's the point. So, so listen, you can't know the 250 people that are on our Fathom Church roster. You cannot know them. You cannot know that many people. You can't be a herd to 250, but you could be a herd for 12. You could be a herd for 15. 
See, this is what church ought to be about. When we have a new Christian in our midst, when we have somebody who's kind of hurting or, or wounded, we take them in. We put them in the center, in the middle of the herd, and we say, hey, get in here. Get in here to the center. It's safer in here. That enemy, that lion, it can't get you when we're protecting you, when we're surrounding you. And I've just, I've had seasons where I've been on the outside of the herd protecting, and then there have been seasons where I've been on the inside of the herd, just busted up just broken, just barely able to stand up on my own two feet. And you, my church, my, my, my family surrounded me and protected me and watched my flank. I mean, this isn't complex stuff. Some theology is really complex and difficult to apply. Okay, this is not complex, but it's really hard. So may you want this deeply enough to pursue it. If you want to be a fan, man, it's just easy. But if you, may you want family deeply enough to pursue it. And may God who created you in his image be merciful to grant it to you. Focus on the family. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you. We thank you for your word. Thanks for the ending of Matthew 12. Thanks for the image of church as family, of Christian community as family. Not to say that you don't care about our, our biological families, but to say there is a family that, that's meant to supersede. There's a family that's meant to be, to be closer. There's a family that that's meant to be thicker than just blood, but it's, it's unity around your blood, Jesus. And Lord, as, as so many of us have just spent the last couple of years in isolation, kind of by ourselves, staying at home, sheltering in place, and now just kind of coming out and seeing the summer and, and, and going all the places and doing all the things, Lord, I do pray that we would be convicted to start working out our community muscle again that it's not okay for us to just be consumers. It's not okay for us to just be takers. It's not okay for us to be transactional. You've called us to covenant. You've called us community. You've called us to family. Lord, I pray if there are people here online who, who want this, who desire family, Lord, I pray they find it. Whether it's here, whether it's somewhere else, that they would be bold enough and courageous enough to pursue it. And Lord, that you would be gracious provide it. Help us to this end. Holy Spirit, we need you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.